The Onyx One Month DAP program evaluated Resolute Onyx DES in about 1,700 complex high bleed and risk patients with one month DAP. Visit Medtronic.com backslash Onyx One program to see the data. Resolute Onyx DES is not currently indicated for high bleed and risk patients on one month DAP in the United States. You're listening to Heart Sounds, TCTMD's award-winning podcast hosted by Shelley Wood. Hello and welcome to the Heart Sounds podcast for October 2020. I'm your host, Shelley Wood, the managing editor at TCTMD, and this is the podcast where I bring you up to speed on the top cardiology stories of the month. As I've done for other real-life meetings in the past, I'm giving over this month's podcast to a single conference, in this case, the virtual TCT Connect meeting. This conference is produced every year by the Cardiovascular Research Foundation, which also publishes TCTMD. But contrary to what you might think, the work that I and my editorial team do reporting on TCTMD is independent from the meeting, so I don't get special access to content or play any role in pulling the conference together. I was as curious as you, no doubt, to see what this year's virtual meeting would look like. I sat through the press conferences like everyone else, then pushed my crew to get their stories written and filed as fast as possible. I hope you've checked out our comprehensive coverage on TCTMD.com. I know my team put in long days to capture the big trials and top studies with as much depth and breadth as a virtual meeting permits. To get a sense of what others learned from this year's meeting, I reached out to two of the designated social media ambassadors for TCT Connect, Dee Dee Wang of Henry Ford Health System in Detroit, and David Homan of Louisiana's Cardiovascular Institute of the South. Both of them had spent hours in recent days tuned in to TCT content and tweeting it out to the world, so I was very grateful to them for taking an extra 10 minutes of their time to sum it up for me. Here's our conversation. Thank you both for joining me on the Heart Sounds podcast. I know you've had a busy week. Let's start with you, Didi. First of all, you were both very active on social media. I think you were both um, official ambassadors on social media for this meeting. But Didi, I was watching some of the things you had to say. Tell us, what did you see here that um, you want to sort of take home with you? I think the most important takeaway from TCT's conference this year and CRF's efforts is um, it was very professionally done. And it was a humongous behind the scenes effort that's really underappreciated. My biggest takeaway beyond the science is the fact that the scientific community is so dedicated to advancing science still in the setting of a pandemic and collaboration nationally, internationally continues. I was very taken back and um, impressed with everybody accommodating Eastern standard time zones for basically recordings or live case presentations or taping of any potential presentations. Um, And that is for a lot of people who aren't involved in the um, day-to-day efforts of running a meeting, that's incredible dedication and sacrifice by those investigators and uh, scientific abstract presenters to late-breaking clinical trials. I remember doing one of the press conferences with the late-breaking clinical trial from the ultimate PCI team, and they were calling all the way in from 2 a.m. in Asia. That kind of dedication to TCT itself and the science and advancing the science is just an incredible takeaway and very heartening, the silver lining. 
Yeah, I couldn't help because I was in those press conferences, of course, and I did have to go and look up where some people were phoning from. But I had the sense a little bit that, you know, people were excited to get back to cardiology, given everything that's been going on with COVID-19. People were kind of happy to talk about some of these very specialized presentations in some cases. David, what about you? You were on a happy time zone for this. I think we all were. (laughs) What were some of the things you'd wanted to share? Yeah, I think I would definitely echo Didi's sense of, the, of things. I, the, the first comments I thought of yesterday was just that I thought the format of the meeting was remarkable. I thought the European meeting a couple of months ago was really uh, well done, but it's almost like they took from that everything that worked well and then augmented it further. I thought the um, website was easy to navigate. It was easy to find what we, what we were looking for, and the presentations were great. The live cases I also thought were um, exceptional, and I, I don't do a lot of structural work, so I do mostly coronary work, so I paid most attention to those. And um, I thought the cases were very reasonable for an average cardiologist. Instead of being sort of showcase type cases, certainly they were challenging, but it wasn't anything that most of us aren't seeing on a regular basis. So I thought that was really good. And then the highlight of, um, or sort of highlighting intravascular imaging throughout the entirety of the coronary uh, cases was, was excellent as well to really push that emphasis um, that was brought out a little bit in the science too. Yeah, I've heard that too, that sometimes live cases can be really a kind of cowboy, you know, you're sitting in the audience um, kind of with a hand over your eyes waiting to see what'll happen next. But I did ask um, Dr. Leon about this. And, and so they filmed these quote unquote live cases by having the discussants live, although obviously they weren't live by the time they were aired. Um, but did it still have that flavor for you? You felt sort of caught up in it the way you might if you were actually sitting in the audience or or was there a sort of a more peaceful experience? I'm not sure if that's the right word. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because I did suspect that was the case, although it wasn't always apparent. Um, I know for sure, like the Minneapolis Heart Institute cases, they actually had a clock behind them that was a different time than what was apparent. So I was pretty sure that <laughs> well was- Well spotted, yeah, okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it definitely was a little more laid back. I think they chose the cases correctly. I don't think that there was anything too cowboy, which was was nice. I, I wasn't on the edge of my seat wondering um, where things were going to go south. I was more on the edge of my seat wondering- picturing myself in the same situation, doing the same interventions and kind of working through the process myself. So I really did find that they selected cases very well for this meeting, probably more so than I've seen at a meeting in quite some time. Okay. And you think some of the intervascular imaging is a highlight that you, are you currently using IBIS or any of these other mirrors and other fancy things as well? Is that something you're doing now or something you might think of doing more of? Yeah, so it's something that I'm doing now. I'm doing it fairly regularly. And I think after this meeting, I've only pushed that envelope further. I mean, I really think um, in like the ultimate trial being presented at this meeting has, uh, it seems there isn't a, a great argument to be made for not using intravascular imaging during coronary interventions. I know the arguments that come from many private practice cardiologists is, is time. And that was discussed to some degree that it added 15 minutes per case during that trial, um, which added up over an entire day in a very busy cath lab is a significant amount of investment, but um, the end results are fantastic. So um, yeah, if anything, it's only further augmented my, my utilization and my argument for continued use of intravascular imaging. Okay, interesting. Didi, what about on the structural side? Well, uh, from the structural standpoint, uh, going to the live case comment, um, it was equally nerve-wracking as doing a live case, live uh, on a PCT presentation, 
I think for us, because we sort of do the same amount of preparation and it was still a live panelist group. Um, and we had a twist with our live case presentations that um, the patients that we had planned to present, one of them actually uh, came back COVID positive that morning. So oh, we actually wow. couldn't do the, that planned case. And we had to, um, we had backup cases that we ended up doing too that um, worked out successfully and the patients were wonderful. But that um, the anxiety level for us was it was like doing two TCT live cases. <laughs> yeah. It was TCT once taping and then watch it again. But the limitation is we can usually get instant audience feedback. You know, how did it go? Did you like it? Was it educational? Did it meet your goals? Um, and in this setting, it, the instant feedback uh, wasn't there. But it's good to hear from David that he enjoyed it. So that's nice. From the structural standpoint, um, I agree with David. The educational content of TCT emphasizing the need for standardization of intravascular uh, coronary imaging pre and post intervention as defined by multiple clinical trials was pretty phenomenal. And it kind of brings into the question uh, you know, reinstensinosis. Was it really reinstensinosis when these patients come back, or is it really suboptimal stent deployment? And I don't think we'll ever have that answer, but having these clinical trials that were very powerful come through with the patient populations will really help us standardize delivery of care. But to David's point, it's extra time, but it's worth it down with the line for the investment and for future clinical trials to be run properly. Yeah. What about future meetings? Because we started off by talking about just how international this was, how many time zones, but it was really clear to me, not just from the different people tweeting about the meeting, but other sort of chit chat I saw online, that this had such an international flavor. And maybe it's just that it was more apparent to me being stuck at home and, you know, in my track pants, trying to keep my dog quiet, but that this <laughs> felt like everybody, regardless of where they were in the world, there was a lot of attention being paid, even though some of these technologies must only be affordable for certain countries. Yeah, I think that the future of meetings is a very important question. And a lot of this goes beyond meetings, the interaction, the networking, the investigator sharing of knowledge behind the scenes and at a podium is incredible. Mm -hmm. um, and what we see on social media is maybe just 1% of what's involved in attending a meeting in the conference. And it's an opportunity for everybody to come and gather to really advance the science. The limitations of these meetings that's probably not gonna be very sustainable is, you know, in the pandemic setting right now, we're having the exception where people are breaking away uh, once every few months from the usual clinical day responsibilities or procedural responsibilities and taping, or they're taping after hours or on the weekends. But in reality, um, you have a loss of, uh, CME or continuing medical education opportunities for uh, everybody part of the heart team because it's not like they have a dedicated time away to just focus on education, uh, networking, and advancing the science. So the sustainability of this um, it has to be really carefully evaluated so there's no burnout from supporting meetings but also from being able to advance the science. But sure. to your first example and first point, this is a nice happy place for people because they actually get to do what they love and that's really learning. And having that time to learn is something that everybody gravitates toward. Yeah. David? Yeah, I agree with that. I think I've found a little bit of a mixed bag with some of the um, sort of virtual meetings. I love the fact that I can sit at home and, you know, throw a tennis ball for my dog while watching, you know, a live case in my backyard. I absolutely love that. But at the same time, the same distractors exist in that environment that I feel like I do ultimately get more out of it if I'm live at the meeting. 
And then the yeah. socializing, um, I don't find that these meetings um, really aid to that very much. I mean, there's no, you know, walking from one room to another and running into colleagues in the, in the hallways like you have at a, at a live meeting. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. That leads to trial designs. It leads to different interactions and, and ultimately different ideas being exchanged, which probably has gotten uh, uh, cardiology to where it is now. So I definitely do miss that aspect of live meetings. But in the past, my original interaction with Twitter was following meetings. So I couldn't go to every meeting. And so that was the first time I ever signed up for Twitter a decade ago was to follow meetings. And so I've been following meetings virtually to, in some respect for a long time. And I do expect that's going to continue. And I do like the live aspect that if I miss a session, I can just tune back in later on um, and watch that session. On demand. Yeah. Thank you both for uh, looking back at TCT with me while it's still fresh in your minds. And hopefully I'll get to see you in person one of these days. Thank you so much, Shelly. Absolutely. Thank you, Shelly. Take care. At this point in the pandemic, I am really missing travel, especially since I spent the first weekend after TCT shoveling my driveway after we got our first dump of snow pretty much a month earlier than usual. Love you too, 2020. In fact, you may have heard the snowplow go by during my conversation with Dee Dee and David. Big thank you to the TCTMD reporters Todd Neal, Michael O'Reardon, Caitlin Cox and Laura McEwen for your hard work at TCT this year. I am very sorry not to get to celebrate in person. Thanks too to Daniel Parker who produces this podcast every month. Instead of traveling somewhere, anywhere in the near future, I decided to reach out to some other voices around the world to tell me what they took away from TCT this year. I'm going to let them introduce themselves and take us out. I'll be back here wearing my woolies in my virtual studio at the end of November. Thanks for listening. I'm Mirvat Al-Asnaj and I practice in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. What I will take away from TCT this year from my practice are primarily three key messages. Routine cerebral embolic protection during TAVR procedures still has questionable safety and efficacy. Two, there is no increase in mortality with the use of drug-coated devices in patients requiring endovascular peripheral revascularization. And finally, FFRCT is not cost-saving at this time. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Hanauton. I'm practicing at the Heart and Vascular Center at the Victoria Hospital in Rangoon, Myanmar. The one thing I will take away from TCT this year for my practice is new technique and abilities trials in interventionist cardiology. This year's TCT brought us very interesting live session and a clinical trial in virtual medium. Unfortunately, we couldn't meet in person this year's TCT, but we could enjoy and share together. I really enjoyed this our fantastic scientific session from my workplace easily. That is a very nice and unique experience for me. Thank you, TCT, and hope to see you all in the next year. I'm Aisha Kader, and I practice at Ibrahim Cardiac Hospital and Research Institute in Dhaka, Bangladesh. So there was a lot of exciting new science presented at TCT Connect, but I work in South Asia with lesser access to many of the new tools. So for me, I think one of the studies that really resonated was the ultimate trial, which consolidated the absolute necessity for image-guided PCI to optimize longer-term outcomes even further down the line at three years. 
In terms of the DAPT scene, the Zion's 9028 trial offered the options of three-month and one-month DAPT, followed by aspirin only in HBR patients, showing a significant reduction in bark bleeding without compromising on ischemic outcomes. And of course, there is Disrupt CAD3, which gave a major nod to shockwave lithotripsy when treating severely calcified lesions. That's an ancillary tool with a relatively shorter learning curve and one I'm hoping we can have in our lab soon. Do you love listening to Heart Sounds? Check out all new original content from TCTMD featuring Talking Points with Dr. C. Michael Gibson and Rocks Art Radio with Dr. Roxanne Moran. All new episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud.